Well, it is awesome to be back up here again with you guys. If you don't know who I am, I am Joe. I'm the Next Generations pastor. I work with the kids and students and also adults and pretty much whatever Justin says. Um, I I use that line a lot, but it's so true. (laughs) We are starting a brand new series called Basic. Now, I believe you guys did this last summer. I wasn't around then, but the idea is that we are going to break down some very basic concepts within the the Christian faith, like easy to understand, but these basic concepts aren't so easy to live out in our lives, and that's really what we want to do. We want to kind of dive in and then ultimately challenge you. Now, the video you just watched was kind of a reenactment or what they thought maybe the the kind of the great commission and the ascension kind of looked like, and Jesus wobbled up to heaven. Uh, Must have been his first time doing that. But uh, today we're going to dive into, and not only today, but over the next three weeks, we're actually going to be looking at this passage, the Great Commission. And specifically, we're going to be looking within Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew's kind of wording of the Great Commission. And, and now in Matthew, it doesn't have the ascension happening directly after it, but there is clues and hints within the Gospels and Acts that there was uh, this type of commissioning to his disciples and followers that were around before he ascension. It was like his, his last words to his followers uh, before he, he went up uh, to be with heaven. And so uh, this video, I, I believe, is powerful. It gives us kind of an idea of what it means, what it looked like when Jesus was giving the Great Commission. Now, I do want to ask a question. Uh, in this one, every hand should go up. How many of you have ever been yelled at before? If you're a kid and your hand's not up, yeah, there we go. Yelled at. I mean, the idea of us being yelled at uh, is very similar. Now, growing up, uh, specifically when I was in middle school and high school, I was a normal teenager. I was lazy. Now, if you're a parent, you understand that. You probably, when when someone hits middle school or even high school, if your kid isn't lazy, feel blessed. But I was super lazy, and, and in the summertime, I had one chore, one basic big chore, and that was to cut the grass. Uh, now, I lived on a little bit of a property, not like Milan property, but it was like, sub, sub, you know, suburb property. It was like a quarter, maybe a half an acre, depending on the way that you looked at it. And for me, growing up, it took like two hours to cut the grass. But of course, I took breaks. I had to watch TV. Like, I s- spread it out over the day. I, I mean, sometimes it lasted four hours. And and I remember, like, in the summer, uh, my dad was, you know, he would always be like, hey, Joe, I'd be sitting there watching TV, playing video games or doing something. He'd be like, hey, Joe, like when you, when you have a free moment, and obviously he would see me watching TV or something, could you go out and cut the grass? It's getting pretty long. And of course, as a kid, you just say, yeah, 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 I can do that. Sure. No problem. I'll get around to it. A day would go on. And then your dad would see you watching a TV show and he'd be like, or my dad would see me watching a TV show. Like, hey, Joe, like, you know, like, when this is over, could you go out and cut the grass? I'd be like, yeah, yeah. But then that TV show ran into another one, and we didn't have Netflix or anything, so you couldn't pause it or anything, so you just had to keep watching, right? Um, and then the next day would come, and and uh, the grass still wasn't cut, and my dad would come up, and I, I'm not allowed to say these words, right? No. Okay. He would come up and say, Joe, get your butt off the couch and get out there and cut the grass. And I would get up and I would go out and cut the grass. Now, hold that picture in your mind just for a second. 
like I said, over the next three weeks, we're going to be diving into this idea of the great commission. And so kind of to start us off today, we're going to be diving into Matthew. Uh, I just want to read it so we're all on the same page. It's Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. So if you have your Bible, go ahead, open it up, or else it will be on the screens. It says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, if you've been around the church world any amount of time, this is right up there with some of the famous passages, John 3.16, Genesis 1.1, Jeremiah 29.11. It's one of those passages maybe people will post with like a sunset picture on Instagram and put it on there. Or if they're over, you know, on vacation, they'll put this one up. Uh, Or maybe you have it on your fridge. Like, it's just one of those passages that we... If you've been around the church world any amount of time, it's, it's very familiar, and I'm sure a lot of people in this room could probably just quote it off the top of their head. Um, but when Jesus was saying this great commission, it wasn't an ask. It was a command. And he did it a lot nicer than my dad would, uh, cutting the grass. But it, it wasn't optional. It wasn't something that if you feel like it, Go ahead and do this, otherwise it's okay. When Jesus said this, this was his last kind of charge to his disciples uh, before he was going to be with the Father. And he he goes, hey, listen, this is is what you're called to action to do. And it was his kind of like boiling point, his one main point that he wanted to leave off with everything. Today we're going to be focusing on one word. And that one word is, is go, because Justin didn't trust me with any other words. Uh, No, he gave me the word go. Uh, And really what we're going to do is kind of break this down and see really what it means. Um, Because so often when we read this passage or even say this passage or quote it, I don't know, maybe you're like me, we love to like exclaim go. We're like go and make disciples. Like we love to put so much emphasis when we read this passage and we love to start off with like a strong go. And we even skip over the therefore, which is a whole nother talk. But we're not going to get that far. We're just going to stay focused on go. Uh, and so we're going to break this down, this whole passage, over the next couple weeks. Uh, but we're going to focus on the word go. And I think this idea of go, uh, so often when we see this, this verse used within its context and within our world, uh, and like I said, we're, we're talking to a lot of church people today. Uh, when you see it, a lot of times you think of like missionaries using this verse. You see people like going overseas, short-term, long-term mission trips, and, and they, they, they use this verse, and, and they say, like, I'm going, I'm going to go. And to be honest, they are using it right. Like, there, there's nothing wrong. But if that's the only way that we see this word go being used, we're missing the point. Because this word go is for all disciples, all followers, not just people that 
pick up and uproot their whole family and move away or, or go on short-term mission trips. That's not the only time this verse can be applied to our life. And so hopefully we're going to break it down a, a little bit further because it's for everyone. It's everyone who's a devoted follower of Jesus. So what is Jesus really saying in this verse? Are we supposed to leave everything behind and go? Maybe. Are we supposed to keep going through life that we currently have? Maybe. First of all, I'm going to go back to English school. Is that cool? We're going to go back to school a little bit. And we're going to break down this verse a little bit more because I, I believe we have to build a foundation. I'm going to start off with this. How many of you have ever remodeled a kitchen before? Okay. If you've ever remodeled a kitchen, it is not fun. In fact, a couple of years ago, I, I redid my whole house. I remodeled the whole kitchen and everything like that. Um, and I was working with my contractor, who was my brother-in-law at the time. And, and as he was remodeling the kitchen, there's one thing when you start remodeling a kitchen. There's one, the first thing you have to decide is where does the kitchen sink go? Because once you decide where the kitchen sink is, then everything else falls in the place. You don't decide where the microwave goes. You decide the kitchen sink and everything else falls, like where the stove and then the fridge and then the counters and the island and the rest of the layout within that. When we look at a verse, there's always a kitchen sink within a verse. And it's a verb. And it's, a, and it's an action verb within that, in that sentence. And so when we're looking at the Great Commission, there is a kitchen sink that that whole verse is hinged on. And it's not go. Actually, the word that everything is hinged on within that verse is make. But so often we love to focus on the go. So often we like to think that is like the big verb, that is the big action verb. But when it was written out... It's make. Make is the kitchen sink of this verse, and go is contingent on that word make. So why does this matter? Well, it matters because it changes the way that we see this verse. It changes the way that we're going to interpret it and how we're going to apply it to our own life. So growing up, uh, some of you might know my story. I, I grew up in a very conservative kind of background, sit down, stand up, say these words when they tell you to say them, all that good stuff. Uh, and I kind of grew up in that. But during sixth grade is when I was invited to a church, uh, heard the gospel, clicked, it made sense, and then I started my journey with Jesus at that point. Uh, and it wasn't until when I was a, about junior, senior in my undergrad studies that I really felt the call into ministry. I specifically felt like, hey, you know, Jesus is calling me into ministry, uh, and, and it was scary, and it was terrifying. But I remember one of the first thoughts that I had when Jesus called me in this ministry was like, man, I, I don't want to go to Africa. <laughs> like, that was a legit thought, because I'm like, I don't want to leave Michigan. I don't want to, like, I don't want to go overseas. I don't want to learn a new language. Like, I, I, I don't want to do that, because so often when you say, you hear, like, those words called into ministry, you're like, you know, Jesus, I'll go wherever you, you know, take me, which is true, but there was a part of me, like, I'm just not going to Africa. Like, um, and I, and a lot of that had to do with the way that I saw this verse, and the way that I see this verse being used within our, our churches in the, in the context. 
Because so often we, we hear ministry and we, we see people get up and post on social media or, or whatever, wherever maybe you've seen this verse and they focus so much on the going and, and the spreading of the gospel, which is all good. That is solid stuff, really good stuff. But so often when we read a verse and we look at passages within the Bible, we love to put our own influences and we read into it because every time we actually read the Bible, we see it through our lens. We see it through our education, our influences, our culture, and a lot of times we read into it and and a lot of times we, we miss the meaning of what Jesus was trying to say or what the passage really meant. And I think so often we do that with this passage. So a couple of things I do want to strip down from this passage. Um, this verse does not mean we have to leave the United States. But it can. This verse doesn't mean we have to leave Michigan. But it can. This verse doesn't mean we have to leave Milan. But it can. That's why I love Scripture. Scripture has one meaning to a verse, what the author intended it to be, but the way that it can be applied to all of our lives is going to look different. And that's the beauty of the church. That's the beauty of Scripture and the way that we can apply it to our lives. So remembering the kitchen sink, knowing that go wasn't the contingent word, um, changes the way that we read it changes the way that we're going to view this passage because the Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. And so we have to actually go back and dig in a little bit and see the way that they structured the sentence. And, and it really helps you to understand. The good thing is I did a lot of the research for you, uh, so you don't have to do that. But today we're going to look at two people within the Bible, uh, actually two disciples. And, and I think it's going to help us understand this word, Go. The first person we're going to look at is Paul. Now, Paul is a name that maybe we're like, yeah, we, we hear about Paul all the time, probably every other week here, because we know a lot about Paul. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. Uh, and then uh, we even know that before Paul was Paul, his name was Saul. And he had this radical transformation, this encounter with the risen Christ. And I want to read that. It's in Acts 9, 1 through 9. And it says that so Paul, before he was Paul, was actually named Saul. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground. And w- but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him, into, uh, led him by hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. It's like this, this encounter that Saul had 
was crazy. He got knocked off a donkey. He experienced the risen Christ. He was blind. He didn't eat. He didn't drink. And then if you go a little bit further with an axe, I encourage you guys, like study the life of Paul. It's like amazing. Um, he, he went into Damascus. Uh, he meets a guy he, he can see again. And then uh, the first reaction he does, he goes out into the courts and he starts preaching the gospel. And they're like, wait, isn't this the guy that wants to like kill Christians? And then they try to kill him. And then he has to sneak out the city. And then we know a little bit of the rest of his journey where he goes and he studies for a couple years uh, uh, the scripture. And he goes and he goes on this crazy missionary journey. Like Paul, we can summarize Paul's story that he reached like the, the, the Gentiles like, or the, the non-Israel people, the non-Jews. And he went to Asia. He went to Europe. He planted all these churches. He never stayed anywhere, I think, longer than three years. Uh, he just he went around. And he wrote these letters. And that's really what we're looking at when we look at the New Testament is a lot of Paul's uh, uh, letters to these churches. And, and he wrote these letters through this, uh, the Holy Spirit kind of, kind of guiding them and helping them figure out what the church was supposed to look like. And then we know ultimately Paul, he was tried to kill twice, like people tried to kill him twice. And then the third time they were successful, he was killed for his faith. And, and, and then we ultimately know that he went all around, I think we have a map, like just all that was influenced by one guy. Like it's crazy to think about that he went to all those places, spreading the gospel. And then we're like, wow, Paul lived the Great Commission. Paul did it. Paul went. And we're like, yeah. I, we look at Paul and we cheer him on and we're like, I want to live a life like that. I want to be like Paul. I want to have faith like him. I want to get knocked off a donkey. Like, uh, that, that's the idea. And really, we look at Fieldstone today, and we're like, Fieldstone wouldn't exist without Paul and what he did in his letters and his writing and him going outside of the Jewish community to reach people for the gospel. And it's this amazing life of him going around sharing the gospel, people responding to it, him being totally dependent on on God showing up, not knowing where his next meal was going to come from, not knowing how he was going to make any money at all. He didn't didn't know where he was going to sleep. He didn't know when his life was going to be taken from him. He was totally obedient and trusted in God that he was going to be taken care of and that he was going to go out and share the gospel and, and do the Great Commission. He spent years in prison for Jesus. Like, Paul is the man. I, I, don't, I can go on for days. That's a whole nother sermon. Um, uh, just look at him. But when we look at ourselves and we apply this Great Commission passage to ourselves, it's like we know that we can never live up to what Paul did, but it feels like we're supposed to live up to him. It feels like we're supposed to, to do what Paul did. We look at Paul, we look at people that have gone overseas, that have dropped everything, that have taken, uprooted their whole family, um, and we look at that and we're like, wow, I could, I can never do that. And then we hear the Great Commission, and, and then we almost like throw it out because we focus so much on the word go. We're like, I can never do that. I'm in Milan. I'm in my little community. Like, I can't go anywhere. And then we almost throw out the whole Great Commission, or we forget about it. 
or we think we're not qualified. And then sometimes we even do this to kind of compensate for the Great Commission. We'll write checks, which is great. Trust me. Like, you need to, like, writing checks for, for people to help overseas, like feel some. We sponsor a family overseas, which is awesome. But if that's all we did, that's not accomplishing the Great Commission. And so what we do, we get into this mentality where we just kind of like, I'm not going anywhere. So we stay. And we stay where we are. But what we really do is we just kind of throw everything out. We throw out the rest of the verse. And what we do is we go on with life. Today I want to look at I want to look at the second disciple. This one's a little bit more odd. Uh, it's James. Now, it's not the James that you're probably thinking of. There's actually three James within the Bible. The first James is called James the Greater. Imagine having that name. Be awesome. Uh, James the Greater, he was John's brother. He was there when Jesus called them to be fishermen. He was more talked about within the Bible. Like, you, you kind of hear about him more. You tend to picture this James when you hear the name James. But that's not the guy we're going to talk about. Uh, and then there's the other James. James, Jesus' half-brother, uh, you know, wasn't a disciple, but became a, a huge influence for the gospel after uh, the, the resurrection, the ascension, and, and seeing his brother go through all that. Like, and then we hear a little bit about that James, and, but we're not talking about that James either. We're going to be talking about James the Lesser. Yeah, everyone probably haven't even heard of this James. Um, James the Lesser, he's mentioned twice or maybe three times in the Bible. I think it's only twice and alluded to a third time within the Bible. He, he was the son of Alpheus. Um, and really, there's not that much written about him. Uh, we don't know too much, but through oral tradition and, and through kind of history being passed through, uh, we, can, we do know a few things about this guy. Uh, one thing, he was one of the disciples, so he was there. Even though we don't hear about him, he was there in those moments. He was there in the storm in the boat. He was there when Peter walked out on water. He was there when Jesus did all the miracles. He was there at the Great Commission. He was there at the Last Supper, like... You, you don't think of this, but there was this guy named James the Lesser at this seeing everything taking place and seeing what Jesus was doing and, and the way that he was teaching. And, and what's told is that he was there at the Great Commission. He heard everything else that the disciples heard. Um, but from what, what you can study and what you know about James is that after everything happened, uh, James stayed in Jerusalem. He didn't go anywhere. He stayed, and even oral tradition has thought that he was the first bishop in the church. And he stayed probably in one of the hardest cities to try and spread the gospel. Uh, it was the exact place, you know, where everything took place, and he stayed. And it's even thought uh, in 62 AD, uh, he was thrown off the top of the temple, and that when that didn't kill him, they stoned him uh, to death. But he was one of the huge influences that, that started this church within Jerusalem. It's a great depressing story, right? Um, why do I want to look at these two disciples? Because they both fulfilled the Great Commission. But when we think of the Great Commission, we don't think of staying. We think of going. But what if the, go, the word go is being used wrong? 
what if you can stay and go at the same time? Because so often, like I was talking about earlier, we bring baggage to our scripture. We bring baggage through our lenses and the way that we read scripture. We relate the great commission to Paul, but not James the lesser. Yet so often, every, most people in this room, we would say, yeah, I'm like a James the lesser type of guy. We're not like a Paul type of guy. We relate to him. I have to assume this. That if James the Lesser um, heard the Great Commission from Jesus, from his mouth, and he took that word go literally, he wouldn't have stayed. He wouldn't have stayed in Jerusalem. He would have went. He would have traveled around. He would have done exactly what Paul did, but James heard it within its context. He, he understood what Jesus was saying. And when we dive into this word go, it, and the way that it's translated, it really should be read like this, as you go. That's how the disciples took it. And that's how it's written in the original Greek. So what Jesus was really saying and was this, that as you go, make disciples. Let me even rephrase it. As you go to the grocery store, Make disciples. As you go to your family reunion or holiday celebration, make disciples. As you go on vacation, the last thing you want to do, make disciples. As you go to school, make disciples. As you go to the doctors, make disciples. As you go on a date, a little flirt to convert, uh, make <laughs> disciples. Basically, I want to sum it up like this. As you go through life, as you go through day-to-day life, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is what they knew. This is what they did, and this is what we're called to do. As, so as Christians... As a person being called to this, to, as the same as Paul, as the same as James, all the Jameses, and the same as everyone else that's been before us, so I want to challenge you in two ways. One, uh, this talk was never supposed to be meant that, that if you feel called to go somewhere, like to make you stay. Because like I said in the beginning, it can mean that you need to go. It can mean that you, you have to leave Fieldstone or Milan or even this country. I can mean that. So my first challenge to you is this. Where are you supposed to go? Where are you supposed to go? It's on the screens. Um, and can I be honest? There's probably people in this room that, that know they're supposed to go somewhere. And that Jesus is calling you somewhere. What I would encourage you to do is lean into that. Lean in and listen. Um. And some of you do need to move physically. You need to move to a different area. Maybe it is to, to witness. Maybe it's disciple. Maybe it's for family. Maybe you, just, you need to go. Um, and maybe Jesus won't ask you. He's not asking you now, but he'll ask you later. But we need to be sensitive to that. But if you don't feel called that you have to physically go anywhere, 
my challenge is this, that as you go, take the kingdom with you. As you go, take the kingdom with you. Some of you might need to hear this. Your mission field is Milan. Your mission field is Milan. Your mission field is your home. Your mission field is your family, is your neighbors, it is your friend, it is the cashier at the grocery store. That is your mission field. And just like missionaries that get sent to Africa, God placed you here. And he wants us to accomplish the Great Commission. Listen, it's, it's easy to have this up on our fridge. It's easy to have it in the bathroom and all, and all that stuff. But like the idea of this series, basic, it's hard to live out. But hopefully when we understand this word go and truly what it means, we will feel empowered and commissioned to go out as we leave this building today to live it out. So as we leave Fieldstone, as we go to a restaurant after you leave here, or as you go home, or maybe you have as you go on vacation, wherever you're heading off to, take the kingdom with you. Because if we all live that out, then ultimately we can, ju- we can have just as big of an impact like Paul or James the Lesser had. Because we're depending on God to show up. We're depending on his spirit to move through us so that people can ultimately find Jesus. And lives can be changed. Family trees can be changed. And that's ultimately what we want for Milan. I'm going to invite the, the band back up. Um, we're going to sing one more song. But my encouragement to you is that as you go through this week, um, to do this, uh, read this passage a couple times this week. Be reminded of it because we are going to dive into it over the next, like, two weeks after this. Uh, Maybe you just carry around in your pocket. Maybe you have an alarm on your phone when to read it daily. Whatever it will look like. But I just encourage you, read this passage. Soak it in. Let it be applied to your life. And hopefully we have a, a different meaning of what this word go means. And trust me, I'm putting a lot of pressure on Justin for next week because the, the kitchen sink is make. And so don't miss next week because that's, that is what, what Jesus was really emphasizing, what it looks like to make. So let's pray. Jesus, you are good. We just thank you for everything that you've done, and I pray that we would just all be commissioned to live out the Great Commission, that we would leave here, and as we go through life and and our daily encounters, that we would just feel compelled to make disciples. In Jesus' name, amen.